0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the equine network family.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Disease De Your podcast on the topic of equine wobbler syndrome with Dr. Rachel Liepman. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Disease De Your podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Merck Animal Health. Rachel Leepman, DVM DACVIM Large Animal, practices at Cave Creek Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery in Arizona. She attended veterinary school at Michigan State University, completed an equine internship with B.W. Furlong & Associates in New Jersey, and underwent advanced training to obtain her master's degree and certification with the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine from The Ohio State University. Thank you, Dr. Liepman, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about equine wobbler syndrome, which is also known as cervical vertebral stenotic myelopathy, or CVSM. Last fall, you joined us on Disease Du Jour to talk about airway concerns and performance horses, and we're really happy to have you back to talk about wobbler syndrome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's just jump right in. So when you are dealing with wobbler syndrome, (laughs) what would be the initial complaints that would lead you to look for CVSM?
0: So there tends to be two different populations of horses that present for CVSM, Um, the very young horse. um, So usually weanlings, yearlings, um, and rapidly growing horses. So they kind of fit in that uh, two to four year old cohort. And then we have the older horse, um, often performance horses, that start to have performance issues or have had chronic low-grade concerns that people haven't been able to get a hold of. And so generally, these horses are going to have um, ataxia, so, you know, in coordination in their limbs. Um, usually, the hind end affected more than the front end, and um, depending on degree, um, you know, signs can be pretty variable. So um, it's sometimes ruling out other things and whittling down to looking at their neck um, for problems there.
1: And what sort of complaints would a a rider or trainer bring to you that would say, hey, maybe I should look for this?
0: Yeah, so in a performance horse, we often hear about horses So having trouble um, taking connection, um, being stiff, turning on tight turns, um, not really wanting to collect or pick up canner leads, um, losing coordination in the hind end, especially at the canner, tripping, stumbling in the front end or even in the hind end. Sometimes people will tell us about buckling um, or just some people, some trainers will tell us they just feel unsteady
1: beneath me. Okay. And when you're diagnosing these horses, kind of walk us through what your process would be.
0: So, you know, first of all, of course, we do a thorough physical exam and get a good history. Um, Oftentimes, physical exam is not very remarkable. Sometimes, depending on, you know, what cohort you're looking at, you might see some muscle atrophy over affected areas. When um, doing more of an advanced exam, you might notice that um, their, you know, their sensation over the skin um, and the deeper muscle planes over the neck or elsewhere are reduced. Um, You know, but usually physical exam, um, especially in the performance horse without starting into the gait evaluation is going to be fairly unremarkable. in a young horse, we often will see uh, comorbidities such as, um, you know, evidence of um, osteochondrosis lesion lesions, so um, swelling in their joints. Um, they might have flexural limb deformities. They might be usually are very large in stature, or history might tell us that they've had a recent growth spurt. Um, genetically, some of these horses, even if it's not genetically passed down from one sire to you know the the offspring it can be just sort of like a genetic predisposition predisposition within a breed if they're bred to be really large and grow really rapidly so um they used to think that this was purely genetic. And now um, more studies are showing that this is more likely uh, developmental. And so, you know, if we have a line of horses or a history in the past, it's really important to ask those questions. Have you ever had these problems in this breeding line or heard of problems in this breeding line before? Because sometimes we see patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, We see it a lot in thoroughbreds. We see it Um, Also in large um, paint horses, appendix, um, warm bloods, of course, Um, you know, there's, there's lots of breeds that have this problem. Um, So keeping note of their breed as a part of the workup as well um, and discipline of riding is important. Um, So moving on to the gait evaluation, you know, we want to look at them like a plain orthopedic lameness exam but we also want to look at them for a neurologic exam and so starting you know just watching them walk and if they're stable enough trot Um, and then of course if they're stable enough we can do a gait evaluation on soft ground in a round pen or um, in an arena um, to see what the complaint is that the owner or the trainer is reporting Um, and then we can watch their coordination we can look at their proprioception um, palpate their neck and back, look for a range of motion in their limbs, but also in their neck, um, laterally and dorsal ventrally, lift their head, take away the horizon and make sure that their um, proprioception does not worsen. Um, all of these things are part of a standard neurologic evaluation um, and then, um, you know, just assessing for weakness, spasticity, ataxia, all those things that we might see in a horse with CDSM depending on the severity.
1: Today's Disease De podcast is brought to you by Banamine, Flunix and Megalamine injection from Merck Animal Health. The pioneer NSAID for horses in the U.S., Banamine goes to work quickly to alleviate pain and inflammation from musculoskeletal disorders and visceral pain from colic to horses in your care. Don't get caught on call without Banamine. Find out more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Do not use Banamine in horses intended for human consumption. The effect of Banamine paste on pregnancy has not been determined. See product label for complete safety information. When you go to diagnose, uh, are you using radiographs, ultrasound? What other more are you using to work on these horses? Work up—that's the word I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, so we, first things first, we do that gait and neurologic evaluation, and we have to ask a couple of questions. Um, do, they, do they have a neurologic problem? And then that's a yes or no. Yes, they have a neurologic problem. Next question, where do you neurolocalize the problem? If you neurolocalize the problem to the neck, then we move on to next steps. If you neurolocalize the problem to the back, of course, we're going to take a different different um, course. Um, Our imaging is a little bit more limited for that, for those vertebral bodies in that region. Um, If you neurolocalize elsewhere, you know, to the brain, of course, that's that's also going to require different testing. So one of the things that we often do to kind of work these up is Um, you know, make sure that systemically they're well, there's um, get their vaccination history, make sure that they've been properly vaccinated for the core diseases that can cause neurologic problems like the encephalitis, um, West Nile virus, um, which we've seen more and more in recent years, Um, herpes, which we know is not protect, protectable via vaccine alone. Um, So all those things kind of potentially think about doing some testing in that vein to test for viral things that could cause neurologic disease, potentially do some blood work if we feel it's necessary to check their systemic wellness, and then um, consider neck x-rays to start, usually where most people are going to to go if they neuro of course, to the neck. Um, so we'll often start with plain lateral, lateral x-rays. Um, so just straight across, Really straight X-rays to the best of your ability. Sometimes that's hard to do in a wobbly horse or in a sedated horse, um, or in the field. So, doing your best to get really good straight X-rays of all the vertebrae in the neck, all the way um, to um, C7 T1, if you can. Um, caudal neck is the most commonly affected area in the horse that's been doing performance. That's you know more advanced in age. So, you know teenager to older, um, and that's going to be the hardest place to image for most practitioners, but a really important place to see if possible. Um, If you're skilled enough, doing oblique radiographs of those regions can also help. You can see more of the articular facets because in these adult horses, we often see spinal cord problems either compression, angulation um, or nerve root compression um, due to um, arthritis and soft tissue remodeling um, of those facets. Of course, you can also have problems of the body's alignment. Um, you can have malalignment, you can have, um, you know, actual malformations of vertebral bodies that can cause compression. Um, And you also have to look at the disc spaces to see if there's any disc disease that could be underlying um, the problem. So um, x-rays are going to be first line for most. Um, Those that have access to more advanced diagnostics, um, many are now using um, CT, which will give us a lot of information with or without contrast. And of course, probably one of the most widely used things is um, a myelogram. so a contrast study to actually see in neutral, flexed, and extended spine if there is compression of that spinal column. Um, the dye column goes into the intrathecal space and um, highlights that you know subarachnoid um, CSF cavern, so that you can see if that is um, narrowed at all. So um, all of those things, those diagnostics are. Are really helpful. There's other um, researched diagnostic tests that are widely used yet. Um, MRI isn't quite as useful as CT. CT myelograms are super useful and we're getting more and more information about those as some of the big practices are seeing so many cases um, you know in the big racehorse country um, and able to use those diagnostics to to learn more.
1: When you're looking at treating these horses, how do you like to proceed with the various cases you see?
0: Really depends on the severity. Um, You know, sometimes we see them because they have some neck pain or perceived neck pain from the rider, and they really don't have overt neurologic signs at that time. Um, And so those ones were probably likely to get some relief from cervical facet injections with either um, steroids or um, regenerative therapies. So depending on the case and the different things involved, um, we can make those decisions. And we often will get some good relief from those um, from those treatments in the performance horse um, to allow ongoing training. And then we always recommend rehab practices to try to strengthen the neck after we do injections. So it's not just you know, poke and go. We we really encourage clients to now that they feel better, really condition them properly, do stretches, um, and try to keep their mobility up because um, we know that they have a problem. Of course, if they start to have neurologic disease associated with this, then it becomes more um, more problematic. Um, you know, sometimes neck injections can help, but oftentimes it's not going to resolve the problem to make them safe riding horse, depending on the grade of neurologic disease that they present with. And so um, sometimes we give them systemic therapy if they come in an acute crisis, Um, you know, IV steroids, um, plus or minus NSAIDs, um, DMSO, often just anti-inflammatory medications and supportive care. Um, And sometimes that can get them out of crisis, but they're often not going to return to a rideable state when they come to us like that. Um, and, uh, otherwise, you know, maintenance things like keeping them on joint support, um, can be helpful, um, Legend and Adequan are widely used, um, other, you know, feed through like Cosequin products, um, are, are useful. There's so many options out there. Um, but, you know, joint health can be helpful, um, for these horses because, you know, part of the issue is joint mobility, um, and then you know, really, oftentimes, if they present to us in pretty bad shape, their prognosis isn't isn't great, and so they're either retired or, depending on how bad they are, if they're a
1: danger to themselves or others, they may be a candidate for human euthanasia. I've I've seen some really bad ones in in my life because <laughs> I was raised in thoroughbred country, so it
0: those yeah. fast growing
1: thoroughbreds can get a little scary when you're trying to work around them
0: in adult horses you know depending um, and I guess some of the the you know valuable resources if they catch it soon or not they can do um, surgical revision with a um, ventral fusion um, of their spinal column and you know some of them depending on how much damage the spinal cord they have can can do quite well. Um, I don't see the population of thoroughbreds that is seen in Kentucky where you know they do a lot of these surgeries but anecdotally I think they say like over 80 percent of those young horses young racing horses that are fit and have some of these um, instability slash um, malformation, if they can get it soon enough and operate on them, um, they can have good outcomes. So, I mean, greater than 80% good outcomes, anecdotally, of course, but still from some pretty, um, experienced people that are seeing these horses all the time is a pretty good outcome. So if it's in the cards, sometimes the young horses, um, as long as they don't have a really severe malformation, um, can do quite well with the, with the ventral fusion, um, And of course, the older horses, it's sometimes an option, but they often have um, other issues that complicate it a little bit. So it may not be as good of an option for those horses.
1: Yeah. So what kind of follow up? You mentioned you always encourage after, for example, injections, some rehab. So what other follow up will you do on this type of a horse?
0: Of course, it depends on the owner if they'll agree to come back. Um, But I always recommend, you know, just evaluating them, especially if they have neurologic signs. Um, You know, I would say about a month after treatment um, and just kind of reassessing how they're doing. Um, We'll often stay in touch with the owners as they're starting to ride again um, with these mild horses that have neck pain. Um, And, you know, they're usually quite pleased. So we hear good good results um and sometimes you know the horse doesn't respond and that means that you know they're they're probably going to have a worse prognosis overall for a return to work um but really you know we don't we don't have to do a ton of follow up it's just it it is more up to the horse owner rider trainer you know how the horse is doing i don't think we can easily prescribe a duration of these treatments lasting it just kind of depends on the horse's needs and usually kind of figure it out because they show you subtle signs that you recognize in the future after you, they've been diagnosed once so um, we can kind of try to maintain them to the best of our ability going forward based on those things um, but I really feel strongly that rehab with stretching and strengthening is a huge part of success in these horses going forward.
1: That's a good point. And is there anything else, uh, Dr. Liebman, that you'd like to add from your experience of seeing these types of of horses, especially the adult sport horses?
0: Yeah, I think um, it's just important to to listen to your gut on these because it can be dangerous to ride these horses and. As your veterinarian, we have to look after the health of the horse and also the safety of the people around the horse. And so, if you have questions, it's worth an evaluation. Um, And you know, you can. There are other things that it could be as well. And you know, in order to do a a proper workout, there there's more testing that can be done. It might not be the neck. It might be that they have EPM or um, West Nile virus or EDM, you know, there's lots of different things that it could be that we need to do additional testing, for example, spinal fluid testing um, on those horses to rule that out before we blame it on the neck. And sometimes it is the neck, sometimes it's not. And so um, another thing I'll mention is just in these young horses that have um, a propensity for OCDs, if you've got one of those, it's not uncommon for them to have OCDs in their articular facets as well. And so that could predispose them to arthritis in the future. Um, and so, you know, getting those things checked out early and doing what you can to maintain, um, if you have a breeding stock that you're noticing a lot of these youngsters are having issues, it could be that they need a review of their nutritional program. Um, and there's, you know, How much they're being fed and how much they're being stalled, how much they're out. All of those things are important for your veterinarian and sometimes nutritionists to help with um, to make, you know, a difference going forward. Um, So it's a tough disease, but we've come a long way and um, we have had a lot of good successes with these horses long term.
1: Well, I really appreciate you. And thank you, Dr. Liebman, for joining me on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And a big thanks to our audience for listening to our podcast. And a special thanks to our 2023 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K brown at com.